this is uh, Alex Albin, and we're here today with uh, Ashwini Rao, who is the co-founder and CEO of Idol. Uh, we're eager to learn about that and Ashwini's perspective on issues relating to technology and AI. Uh, I, we met Ashwini when we were at a panel a few months ago at the Los Angeles Tech Week. Uh, it was a really interesting uh, group on the future of AI, especially focused on legal issues. And uh, we thought it would be fun to have her come and uh, we can pose even more questions to her uh, because we were the uh, on the panel back then, so the roles have reversed a bit. Um, I'm Alex Albin. I'm one of the co-directors of the AI Forum.org, and I'm here with Patrick Ip, who's also co-founder of the AI Forum. Ashwini, we're uh, really happy to have you here. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alex. As Alex said, I'm the co-founder and CEO at Idle, and Idle is a scam protection platform, protecting enterprises and consumers from scams that happen on social media and app stores and ads and all the good stuff. So my background is cybersecurity. I was formerly a CISO of a fintech startup even before that, I was an engineer at multiple big and small companies. I've developed multiple systems, including AI systems. So I'm very aware of how the technology works. I also work with policymakers. So understand how technology needs policy to function appropriately. Um, yeah, that, that's my background. Terrific. Um, well, just to kick things off, we are very concerned about the direction of cybersecurity as a global problem. Uh, what do you see uh, from your point of view as the most pressing challenges that we face in this realm today? So usually when we talk of cybersecurity and cybersecurity protections, the first thing that comes to mind are machines. You know, how do we prevent a machine from getting hacked? Right, But what truly happens is we are not just dealing with machines. We are dealing with humans who deal with machines. So cybersecurity, there needs to be a lot more focus on how these humans are getting hacked, which by which I mean social engineering. The biggest hacks today happen not just because machines are like you know weak, but because the person who is handling the machine is getting fooled. So I, I work on scams, which is all about social engineering, how humans are tricked and victimized. And this, in 2022, U.S. consumers lost $8.8 billion to scams. That was 30% increase from 2021. That's a lot of money. But so, yeah, so what I see is the need is protecting humans, like having more systems to handle like how people are getting victimized, prevent them from getting victimized. That's where I see the biggest need um, as, you know, when we talk about cybersecurity. Maybe just give us a few examples of the types of attack that you're seeing now that use social engineering. Most people think of phishing attacks as being web-based. You get an email and the email 
tricks you as to the identity of the sender. How is this evolving these days? What are, what are you seeing in your business? So, you know, email phishing is still happening. I believe like a billion phishing emails are sent every day. So that is still happening. So is website phishing, which is, you know, someone sets up a Bank of America website that looks very much like Bank of America website, but it's not, right? But what we have seen evolve is really things through social media. In the last seven, eight years, social media has exploded, right? There are today 4 billion users on social media, not just consumers, but also employees. I mean, we are all on LinkedIn, pretty much. And what we are seeing more and more is phishing that's happening through social media. Now, think of, okay, um, maybe you follow your bank on Instagram, right? A lot of us want customer support through Twitter. We go complain, hey, you blocked my account, right? Or you are not letting me pay this person. And what we see is social media, just like you would see, like what the example I gave with website, like that's like, looks like Bank of America on social media, you know, there are profiles and there are other profiles that look like your bank's profile. There's also a lot of direct messaging that happens. Okay, I'm an agent from the bank and I'm contacting you because we are going to block your account because something illicit happened. It's exactly the same you see on email, right? Hey, your account is going to be blocked unless you change your password. You see the same message through social media, not just just social media. There's also ads, a lot of ads that are being shown on social media. There are like mobile apps because everyone's using an app for banking, for everything else, we have an app. And there are fraudulent apps that look just like the legitimate app. So we are seeing this evolution. This just not just website and email, but also like ads and apps and social media messengers too. Yeah. Well, what you seem to be saying is that people have a lower guard for some reason when it comes to social media than they might have for uh, the traditional old school email-based phishing attack. And how does AI change the equation? Uh, and are you seeing specific AI-enabled uh, attacks now in social media and otherwise? We have certainly started seeing them. There's also some anecdotal evidence as to how AI is being used for novel phishing attacks. So one of the things that we see is, so let's say there's a scammer who wants to create a social media profile that looks very much like, let's say another legitimate company's profile. What do they have to do? They probably have to create the profile, copy the logo, copy some of the posts, right? Like think of Instagram. They have like 10 posts and you copy all that. But now AI is being used to actually detect that kind of attacks, right? So you can compare two profiles and say, this looks very similar to that. And so I'm going to flag this. So as that starts happening, what scammers do is they are they get sneakier and sneakier. They will start like, okay, modifying the logo a little bit or modifying the posts a little bit so that the AI detection algorithm no longer works or is as accurate, right? But then the AI learns about it. Then again, it gets taken down. These profiles get taken down. But 
Um, I'm going to pause here for two seconds because, all right, I lost my chain of thought. So, Alex, you, you are right. It's time for another question anyway. And maybe no, no, sorry. Yeah, no, I just want to question now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I want to switch over just to consumers. I just, while you were speaking, I pulled up this stat, like, what's the percentage of people that have weak passwords, like their password is password, or I think we were in class actually talking about this in Alex's class. And the new trend is, you, instead of putting password, you put the name of your dog, you know, Fluffy or uh, Ruby or whatever it may be, right? And, and those, the dog's birthday. Yeah. And the dog's <laughs> birthday. Um, so you know, what can consumers really do to protect themselves? You know, you, you say we're moving from this world of email scams. One thing that I've seen recently just in my own life is uh, people impersonating the CEO of the company. And I get a text and it says, uh, you know, it's my boss and he says, hey, can you, uh, I'm, I'm busy right now. Can you send me, a, you know, an Apple gift card because I need to buy a MacBook right now. Um, and I'm sure there, there's doing that in mass and, you know, people are falling for that. What, what can people do to kind of protect themselves here? So it is true. You know, I, I think the, the USFTC statistics is if you encounter a scam, let's say through text or email, I think if there's a 5% chance that people will lose money on social media, there's a 70% chance people will lose money. So that's a huge, huge you know, why, why do you think it's so much higher? I know, like, for example, on, on what I see, and it's so easy, right? There's Facebook impersonations, and I've seen them, like, impersonate my high school teacher. Like, what, what value what value to, uh, like, malicious actors have in impersonating kind of, I would say, an average everyday American or citizen? What, what value is that to them? So there are two things here. One, why people actually fall for it and what's the impact of that? So the impact is financial loss, right? 8.8 .8 billion. It's going to about, I mean, I think the average loss on social media is around 600 to $800 for every scam. So when someone gets scammed, that's how much they lose. So it's a good and, business for them. Yes, for sure. It's a good return. And, it's not just consumers who lose money, right? Like the statistic is if a consumer loses $1, the business actually, because it's a consumer of some business, usually banks or some other business, they lose $4 because it's not just refunding the money, there's investigation, there are fines, there are legal liabilities. So both consumer and the businesses lose. So yeah, scammers make tons of money. The ROI is just too high for them. As far as like why people are more likely to fall for scams on social media versus let's say websites and email, I think that's it's, it's there are nuanced answers there. One is people are much more aware of email scams and like website scams versus this new kind of scams that are happening through like apps and ads and social media. I would also like to say point out the word social. Right. There's a reason why we call it social, because we are dealing with our friends and and we are dealing with maybe family or even if it's an employer, there's an elevated level of trust. So when you think it's your CEO contacting you, I mean, it's the CEO, you want to do something. There is that social pressure. 
if it's your family contacting you there is again some sort of pressure and all scam tactics are about pressure and given like our elevated level of trust and the pressure we feel i feel and that we are not trained and aware those are the reasons that are contributing to people falling for it more often on social media maybe one follow up question i think there was a, a viral clip not too long ago on 60 minutes where um they had the producer and the anchor and they were able to basically mimic the anchor's voice using ai and call over to the producer and say hey i'm at the airport i forgot my passport can you look it up and give me like my passport id and they fell for it because it sounded like them it was from a phone they trusted do you think these types of attacks are going to increase just with the ability to mimic voices and to better mask your identity through these channels and and then you know the follow up to that is like what what can we do how do it to to know that it's ai versus versus someone real 100% you know just like we love technology scammers also love technology they'll you know they're also very progressive when it comes to technology so if there is a technology that will help them they'll definitely use it whether it's like you know sound modifications or image modifications whatever it is they'll use it it might take some time to get into the mainstream like i don't think tomorrow is when we'll see an explosion of ai scams but it's going to happen in the you know 5 6 7 years time it'll increase for sure maybe What, it's safe to say i'm sorry yeah, maybe it's no. safe to say that uh, the the uh, scammers are early adopters when it comes to uh, any kind of technology and and they uh, they will respond to things that work for them absolutely well just to shift gears uh, for a sec because you know you're not only someone who's working in this area but you know you've had a, a background that's very interesting in both academics and as an entrepreneur and maybe just uh, describe what inspired you to start your own company in this area you know i even as a kid when i think back right why cybersecurity like people have asked me this question like why cybersecurity why are you passionate about cybersecurity what is it about it so i i thought about it and even as a child you know my parents would give me a toy and i would just take it apart just break like into pieces right like how, how does it work like and okay once i took it apart it would all be in pieces i would never put it back no interest in like building stuff but breaking stuff yes amazing so that's how i you know i guess that's the mindset right how does something work and how do i take this apart how do i break things that was something was always there and that kind of drove me into the security area where we want to break stuff if everyone's thinking the norm we want to think of the edge cases like when everyone's thinking how do i make this work we are like how do i break this so i think that's something that drives me but as i you know but as i went into computer science studied computer science started like working in security i would find something like i one of the work i did was on passwords like how to break passwords specifically using grammar right because we are moved from passwords to passphrases now we use a lot of words so i developed a technique like how do we use actually nlp which is natural language processing to break these passwords 
and I would present my work to people, right? And they would all be, oh, this is all nice. But tell me, like, how can I create more secure passwords? And how can I protect myself? So I gradually started, like, understanding that it's all it's important to break stuff, but also how to build more secure stuff. It's important. And then that definitely, you know, that at some point in my professional career, I wanted to do that. So after my PhD, I joined a startup, which was in the fintech sector. I helped them build, like architect their, you know, in, in financial services, a lot of scams, a lot of security issues. So I helped them build a better system. And then once I quit that startup, I was like, okay, what do I do next? I do love building systems. I want to be in cybersecurity. I want to do new stuff because that's, you know, that's my passion too. So I was like, okay, let me do a cybersecurity startup. So here I am. Great. You know. Patrick, yeah, maybe we can, yeah, we can switch gears to maybe some current events of this week. So earlier this week, um, President Biden um, did an executive order on AI. You know, it's it's one of the first in his administration, and it, you know, it's pretty far reaching, covering the workforce, covering innovation, covering. Uh, policy on how it should be regulated within uh, tech companies. Um, kind of curious what your take on it is. You know, it's just released this week, but what, what's kind of your reception to it? Yeah, so <clears throat> so you're referring to the safe, secure, and trustworthy AI initiative, right? That's the one. Correct. Yes. So yes, I've gone through it. I've also gone through there's a link to the a proposed Bill of Rights, AI Bill of Rights, or like a blueprint for AI Bill of Rights. So I want to comment on both of them. So first of all, I really like it. I read it and I think it's a very good first start. And my comment on that is, you know, when we when when we look at this safe, security, trustworthy initiative, we start thinking of how can we make systems or AI systems hundred percent safe, secure, and trustworthy. I want to stop everyone right there mm-hmm. at that point, right? The the foundational thinking in security is no system is ever 100% safe, secure, or trustworthy. It's impossible. It can never happen. And that's the security mindset. And we want to operate with that security mindset because otherwise, okay, so same thing, right? Think of passwords, going back to passwords. If you say, let's always have the most secure passwords. That's impossible because humans are involved in this system. Somewhere we are fallible. So my opinion is that it's good to always think of how can we make things more secure, but also think that nothing can be 100% secure. So we need to have things in place. What happens when something fails? We need to start planning for that. That's how we can build the most resilient systems by planning for failures, right? Knowing that things will fail, but to minimize the damage when failures happen. So that's one thing that I would always, you know, think about. And do, you think, do you think that the executive order is going to help move the ball forward for better security practices or 
Is it just more of a political document? I think at the face value, yes. There's also a lot more about how it's going to be made more concrete, right? How it is actually going to play out. Is, is it going to be legally binding or not? Are there going to be fines if someone doesn't do it? What, those things matter. I mean, we have seen plenty of other things where, like, let's take GDPR, right, or any of the other privacy protections. The big difference between the U.S. privacy protections, which there are like a lot of privacy frameworks in the U.S. too, but compared to GDPR is that in GDPR, there's 3%, I think, these companies can be fined up to 3% of their worldwide revenue. That is a game changer. That is a big reason why a lot of people are taking GDPR seats. So yeah, it's a good start, but then how does it play out? What what are the implications of someone not adhering to some of these, you know, principles or yeah, you know, whatever is stipulated by the you know by this um, initiative? So that's important. But I do think I, I read it, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. How about the bill of uh, the bill of rights part? Were you so, thinking? What about oh, the bill of rights uh, section of the uh, the executive order? Yeah. So when I when I read through it, right, a lot of it is very good, but I want to go back to the point I made that I would, if we have to start thinking that no system is ever hundred percent safe, secure, or trustworthy. So what does that mean, right? What's that one word that I didn't see in the Bill of Rights? Rectification. I didn't read, I didn't see that word at all. Whereas it's in GDPR, one of the articles is right to rectification. What does this mean, right? So let's say you have an AI system that's that was trained on a certain data and it's deployed somewhere. Now it makes a decision. Maybe because of that decision, someone loses their job. Sure, in the Bill of Rights, there is notice and transparency, so they might know how the decision was made. So that's there. But then what? Okay, so you know there was this incorrect data, and there was a decision made on that, and I lost my job. Now, what's what's my recourse? I have access, but what what next? Is there? Do I, can I get the data rectified? How do I get the data rectified? Right? What's the redress? What do I get like for this? So that word, like being able to change things, like especially correct inaccuracies, that's something I would like to see more. And that again goes back to thinking this mindset that nothing can ever be 100% right or accurate. And so we have to operate with that. Okay, it's great. You have access, you have notice, you have consent. But then what? Because something will fail somewhere. At that point, we need to rectify and redress. I'd like to see that more in the in the whenever we have this bill of rights. Yeah. Interesting. We have time for one or two more questions. Alex, you want to? Sure, um, Ashwini. We ask uh, everybody who comes on this podcast uh, a basic question, which is, um, what do you think the greatest public misconception is about AI? Well, that's a very interesting question. There are so many answers that come to mind. But I would say, let me start with an example. 
okay, you let's say you go to a casino in Vegas, right? And then you see the cards being shuffled because, you know, it's some poker game, let's say. On the left side, you see a machine shuffling cards. On the right side, you see a human person shuffling cards. Immediately, what comes to mind about fairness, like who's doing a better job? I think the human mindset is to think it's the machines. See, machines don't have biases. They are not as emotional as humans. They're going to do a better job, a fair job. I think that's where, that's that leads to a lot of misconceptions about machines and algorithms that operate those machines and AI algorithms too. Right? So we, we, we think of machines as having no emotions, but which leads to biases. And I think that's one of the misconceptions, right? So when it comes to AI, we can assume that we might assume that, oh, it's going to be more fair, but that's not the case. Whether it's AI or any algorithm is written by humans, whatever biases we have in our mind, we encode that into the algorithms. When we train the algorithms on data, that data comes from humans, which is which has inaccuracies and biases. So the algorithm gets trained on that. It has biases. So if I look at two people and make different decisions because of whatever reasons, the, the algorithm that I code and I train will also make the same mistakes. But then no one's looking at Ashwini making those decisions. They think, oh, this is this computer that's making the decision. So it must be fair, unbiased. So yeah, I, I think that's 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 the mindset. We think of humans as fallible, as emotional, but machines are not. But then that's just not true. That's a great point and a really uh, provocative example. Uh, I guess we have a final question. Patrick, I'll leave you with a final question to, to answer, to ask. Maybe the, the flip side of that is, you know, instead of misconceptions, what do you think the greatest benefit is of AI? How do you think it's going to help the average consumer or society at large? So, you know, from a technology perspective, I would say it's the creation of superhumans, right? AI can reduce manual labor by 70%. And I'm not saying that that we are going to replace, take away 70% of the people doing jobs. That's not what I'm saying. Because go back to the bias thing, we still need a lot of humans. Like What I'm saying is a given human being can do, can if we, we can make them do way more with AI-assisted technologies. Like all the mundane things that we don't have to do. Anyway, it's boring. Like we can get rid of that and just focus on doing you know things that are more important and this happens right so for us in the scam world we have to train a lot of algorithms we have to collect a lot of data we have to take a lot of screenshots all this work can be reduced just by having ai algorithms involved and we can just focus on making things better, you know, catching the scammers. How I pursue AI and AI technologies, it just helps us do our jobs way better. Well, we can certainly train AI to do uh, better podcast questions, uh, <laughs> but I can't think of better answers than what you've given us. Uh, Ashwini Rao, who's the co-founder and CEO of Idol, 
we uh, we really appreciate your being here with us today. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Patrick.